0: Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who gave us Sherlock Holmes, was at a dinner party of high society, and the dinner guests there were gossiping and gasping about the exposed naughtiness of some people in high society. And Doyle was listening to all of this, and he was unfazed and unsurprised by what he heard. In fact, he gave the theory that by the time any man reaches 40 years of age, there's at least one skeleton in his closet. Well, some at the high society gathering were just incensed at this. How cynical the nerve to which Doyle replied, well, let's put it to the test. Pick someone you know whom everyone would claim to be an upright Christian gentleman, impeccable character, unquestioned integrity. Go ahead, agree amongst yourselves which one that would be. So they did. And then Doyle said, send this pillar of society, a telegram, with only these six words. All is discovered, flee at once. They did. And Doyle said, the guy disappeared the next day and has never been heard from since. <laughs> now that was mean and sad right? Because we all have them, don't we? Skeletons. Those shameful and embarrassing sins we hope never see the light of day, and especially terrifying is the thought that our closets would be exposed to the merciless courtroom of social media. And the result? Doubts. Doubts flood our minds. Have I suffered enough? Have I repented enough? Am I sorry enough? What if others find out? And then we go to church and we hear the pastor talk about this uh, uh, emphasis over the next two years called Christ's simple commission, the commission to make disciples, going on his behalf, baptizing in his name, teaching obedience to all that Christ has said. and, And that privilege quickly gets quashed by the evil one, Satan, whose name means the accuser, who accuses us. Who do you think you are? With your past, your baggage, your skeleton, kind of makes us wonder, doesn't it? Am I qualified? I I mean, I don't know enough Bible to be able to share God's goodness to anyone. I don't know enough scripture. I'm not good enough. Does, does no condemnation really mean no condemnation? This anxiety of you know being found out or this anxiety of the imposter syndrome. I mean, it's unnerving. It's unnerving. Is there any help at all? Yes. Take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament book of John. John chapter 21. We have been considering the commissioning passages throughout the Gospels. We've looked at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and now we're going to look at John. John chapter 21. You'll find that on page 907 of your church Bibles. And I believe these verses were written by those haunted by the skeletons. Those who feel indelibly stained or blemished because of their past. Got skeletons? Let's read John 21, verses 4 through 19. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, "'Children, do you have any fish?' They answered him, "'No.'" He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, by the way, that's a cue, that's the Apostle John. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is God's word. Well in Matthew's gospel Matthew 28:10 Christ had said to his disciples I want you to go to Galilee and there you will see me. And that's where they are in John chapter 21. That's what's going on here. Waiting for Jesus and finally Peter says, you know, well okay, we can sit here and go hungry or we can eat while we wait. I'm going fishing. Verse 3 says, well we will go with you. So they went. Now, these guys were not bass, pro-fish fishermen. These guys were dirty jobs fishermen, okay? They were professional fishermen. Uh, Physical, strenuous, dirty. I mean, it was just rough, rough work. And all night long, hurling and hauling these nets, But you'd have thought they were bass, pro fishermen, fishermen that night because they didn't catch a thing all night long. They may as well have slept. By the end of the night, they'd failed at doing the only thing that they thought they could do. They might as well have just stayed home. And then just as the day was breaking, they hear this voice on the shore, no fish yet. It was Jesus. They didn't know that. It was Jesus. John says it was his third appearance. At, the, at this very ordinary place, Christ appears. He says, cast out to the right, right side of the boat, and you'll find some. Can't get to the way. you'll find some. Peter must have mumbled to himself. Who does he think he is? Anyway, I do this for a living, and now this armchair quarterback, some back, Peter, just do it. Just do it. So they heave the nets out and... Sink and they sink and they sink and then they they wait. You cast the nets, let them sink, and then you start pulling them in. And now they're now this time though there was a little bit of drag on those nets and and but it, and it wasn't a branch and it wasn't limbs. They they something's been. Something's happening here and the surface of the lake begins to boil and churn and foam and, and, oh my goodness, get over here. Give me a hand. They can't even pull the net into the boat. They've They've got the mother load. 153 jumbo Galilean lake fish. And John at that point thought, wait a minute. Wait, John did the math. 2 plus 2 equals 153. That's Jesus, verse 7. It's the Lord. The light came on. And before anybody else in that boat could say who, Peter had plunged into the morning lake water, splashed his way ashore, leaving the heavy lifting to all the others. And by the way, let me just tell you why I really believe this happened. If this had been mythical or fictional, you would not see this much detail. Look at the detail in chapter 21. So, for instance, in the first couple of verses, you have names, actual names of people. Simon, Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. These are like footnotes. This is like the author saying, check out my story here. And then you have have 153 Fish. Why 153 fish? Because that's how many they counted. That's why we're ta- We're not talking about a myth here. We're talking about a memory by an eyewitness, and that's John. John was in the boat. John saw. John knows it's the third time he'd seen Jesus. The other two times he had been to the empty tomb, the resurrection. The bodily resurrection, the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the central miracle of Christianity. And over 40 days, Christ appeared a dozen different times to believers, to doubters, to men, to women. Uh, At one time, over 500. Too many to call this a hallucination. Sometimes indoors, sometimes outdoors. He talked to people. He ate with people. He even invited a skeptic to put his finger in the wound, in the holes of his hands to prove, it's really me. And here Jesus appears at an unexpected place. We would expect him to show up like at the temple or the synagogue or some religious place. No, no, no. He shows up at work. Your work, an ordinary place, Jesus appears. And oh, here's another detail. He had a charcoal fire going, cooked fish, baked pita, breakfast was ready. Bring your fish, come and have breakfast, fellas, don't be shy. And they had a hungry man's breakfast, heaving and hauling nets all night long. They gorged themselves. When Jesus cooks, it's all you can eat. They sat around this ordinary charcoal fire, stomach stuffed. And out of nowhere, Jesus asked in front of them, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? You talk about silence. Eyes look up. Being put on the spot. John called Peter by his formal name. See, It would have been Randall Allen Boltinghouse. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Feed my lambs. And then on the heels of that, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter is staring at the coals. Yes, Lord, yes. Of course I love you. Tend my sheep. In my imagination, Nathaniel breaks the silence. Well, let's secure these nets. Maybe we can sell some of these leftover fish. Peter gets up, says, I'll help. He turns to go. Simon, son of John, it's like a knife. Like an, or maybe it's a scalpel. Cutting away a cancerous past. Simon, son of John, do you love me? You know everything, Lord. You know everything. You know everything there is about my heart. I cannot hide from you. You know my thoughts. You know my attitudes. You know my intentions. You know everything, and you know I love you. And look at verse 17. It says, Peter was grieved. Literally, Peter was pained. That's in the passive voice, meaning someone else is causing that, and that someone else is Jesus. Jesus is causing that pain. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, Proverbs tells us, and there is no better friend than Jesus. And he knows where to put that scalpel. What's going on here? Well, what's going on is that Jesus is cleaning out the closet. It hurts. It hurts to have to clean out the closet. And Peter's closet needed to be cleaned. I mean, the night before Christ died, <laughs> Peter had promised that if all, even if all the other disciples had deserted him, you know, I won't desert you. Lord, if everybody else falls away, I'll never fall away. I'm prepared to go to prison and even death for you. I, I, I mean, Peter was ready because he had this image of the kind of Messiah he thought Jesus should be. He had what's been called Home Depot theology. You know that, don't you? Home Depot theology. Lord, you can do it. We can help. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Peter wanted to help because he wanted Jesus to be a success. He wanted Jesus to overthrow Rome. He wanted Jesus to set up an earthly political kingdom centered in Jerusalem. He wanted Jesus to be the Messiah that he thought Jesus should be. And Peter wanted to be the kind of disciple that he thought a Messiah should have. But here's the problem. Jesus doesn't need Peter's help. Peter is ready to keep Jesus from the cross, but he won't go with Jesus to the cross because how could he be associated with a failed Messiah? And that very night before the crucifixion, Peter denied Jesus three times with profanity. Talk about a colossal failure. Talk about a closet full of skeletons. (laughs) The real Jesus did not need Peter to die for him. Rather, the real Jesus needed to die for Peter. And so around the fireplace, do you see what's going on here? Around the fireplace, it was where Peter denied Jesus. And so around another fireplace, Jesus recreates the setting. Only this time, three denials is replaced with three questions, followed by three affirmations of love, not to rub salt into the wounds, but to remove the cancer, the skeletons that have to come out once and for all, so that restoration can take place, so that Peter would know once for all that it's not Jesus that needs him, it's Peter that needs Jesus. And the Jesus he needs is not some concocted imaginary Messiah, but the real Messiah. The Jesus whose way to the cross is the way of God's grace, especially for failures. And notice the questions. Jesus doesn't say three times, Now, are you really sorry? Or do you promise never to do this again? rather simply do you love me do you love see, see there's always the sin behind the sin and yeah peter denied christ but why did he deny him because he loved his image of christ more than he loved the real christ and that skeleton has to go and man that hurts it is painfully humbling. There's a reason why my closet has a door. It's painfully humbling to break open that door, to open that closet. It- but it's so liberating. It's so liberating. Christ, Christ freed Peter from his past, from The skeletons, and now far from being disqualified, Christ qualifies him as his apostolic under shepherd. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. How do we get rid of our skeletons? Well, not by running and hiding like the man in Doyle's story. And not by denying, pretending that the skeletons aren't there. And certainly not by blaming, replaying the past and assigning blame to other people. That does not work either. It just doesn't. The fact of the matter is, you can't get rid of your skeletons. But Jesus can Will someone say amen? <laughs> you cannot get rid of your skeletons, but Jesus can. Jesus has, Jesus broke open your closet, stole every skeleton you own, and he carried them to his death. In Christ, no skeleton hangs in your closet. Instead, your skeletons hang by nails on a wooden cross. So, it's not your job to deal with your sins. Jesus came and shed his blood on the cross and died for him. Your job is to believe, trust, rely. Colossians 3, 13 and 14 say, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Meaning your skeletons are no longer yours. One more time for the people in the lobby. Your skeletons are no longer yours. You are not your own. You belong to Christ. You are property of Christ. He took them, and he's not giving them back. Psalm 103, 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I cannot read that verse enough. I can't hear that absolution enough. And I can't receive Christ's body and blood enough. Because it is in that declaration that I'm then prepared for the great commission, the simple commission. The simple commission, here it is the gospel. The gospel is this Christ died for sinners. And you qualify. All of us do. Christ died and rose for all of us. And God brings us peace where there's guilt and faith where there's doubt. And it's in the reassurance and the repetition, the preaching to ourselves over and over again in community here on the Lord's Day and individually and in groups, preaching to ourselves over and over and over again. The gospel that God is for us, that in the gospel, Christ says, I want to give you. That's how we can face the life God's given us. And no, we haven't suffered enough for what we've done, but Jesus did. And no, we can't repent enough or be sorry enough to put our consciences at ease. We, we know that we can't do anything. We've tried to no avail. But as we remember Christ in communion, as we remember the drama of decision in baptism, this signifies Christ scrubbing our consciences clean with his blood, putting away our sins by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus then allows us to confidently stand before our Heavenly Father with a clean conscience. Our sins really are forgiven. There is really now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Three questions. Three confessions. And then, did you notice, three Commissionings, So Jesus doesn't respond with Peter with a pat on the back and says, there, there now, it's going to be all right. He doesn't say that. What does he do? He issues a command. He gives a commission. Pete, it's time to learn how to be a shepherd now. It's time to feed my lambs and tend to my sheep. Look after them. You see what Jesus is doing here? He who is the chief shepherd, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, is sharing his work with Peter and with us. Because you see, to say that you love Jesus, well, love has to be more than sentiment. And it has to be, it, of course it's sentiment, and of course it's in motion, but it's gotta be more than that. It's gotta, it's gotta, it's gotta put on flesh. So Peter's going to show his love and demonstrate his love by taking up this task of shepherding. <laughs> you see, the good news is not just that Jesus is risen and now we're going to get to go to heaven someday. Some glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. Well, well. let's look at this here. Yes, there's going to be the new heavens, the new earth, the new bodies. But but here's what this says. This says, Jesus is risen. There's work to do. Right now. In your family. In our neighborhood. In our community. Part of the display of forgiveness is an assignment. For this congregation is an embassy of heaven. And our king has appointed us as his ambassadors. And we have not been recalled. There's more to do. And because love always expresses itself, because love is more than a feeling, because love is an activity, when Jesus says, do you love me, then feed my sheep. Take care of what does not belong to you, but belongs to me. That's what's going on here. And yes, verse 18, it is going to cost Peter his life. Imagine being told how you're going to die. Are you ready for that right now? Well, that's what happens in verse 18. Verse 18, Jesus says, Peter, you're going to follow me to your own cross. You're going to be crucified. Hmm not to pay for your sins, but because you have trusted in the one and represent the king who paid for the sins of the world and can only come to him by grace through faith. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. Hmm. Christ is risen. There's work to do. And yes, yes, when the accuser appears and wants to loiter around your closet wondering what's inside creating doubt what if people knew what if people find out I say let him let him go ahead open the closet door for because of Jesus Nothing's there. Last line. Listen up. Your closet is as empty as Christ's tomb. Amen.